Everybody needs money. That's why they call it money. The best things in life are free. But you can give them to the birds and bees. I need From Fool Global Headquarters, this is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money. Thanks for being here. I'm your host, Chris Hill, and I'm joined by Motley Fool Senior Analyst Seth Jason, James Early, and Ron Gross. Guys, happy Halloween. Happy Halloween to you, Chris. Coming up, we'll give you the latest on Microsoft, Motorola, Sony, and more. CNBC's John Harwood will give us his thoughts on how next week's midterm elections will affect Wall Street. Plus, we'll give you an inside look at the stocks on our radar. But we begin with the big macro. On Friday, the government reported that the economy grew at an annual rate of 2% in the third quarter, which was in line with expectations. On Thursday, the government announced that unemployment claims dropped to their second lowest level of the year. But Seth Jason, Reuters and the University of Michigan rained on the parade on Friday when they reported that consumer sentiment fell in October. What was your headline of the week? Wow. Well, there's a lot there. Uh, let's just go through and point out that most of those things you just said don't really matter. Or are prone to change uh, a few weeks from now when they re-estimate what unemployment claims might be and uh, also in a few weeks when they redo GDP. You don't want to take a gratuitous shot at the University of Michigan? That number is always crazy. Sometimes people, uh, the confidence is low and people go out the next month and spend like crazy. What is going on here, uh, it seems to be going on, is you shouldn't get too excited about that unemployment claims drop because 434,000, big deal. The the usual is about 450,000 that any number of errors could be responsible for that. So whoopee. Uh, GDP <laughs> numbers actually a little bit lighter than the 2.1% that I read economists were looking for. Uh, the number in there to look for is probably consumer spending still 70% of uh, GDP, but growing at uh, a slightly faster rate than that 2% uh, number, but not as fast as it should be coming out of uh, a recession like this. So not the greatest showing and yet another reason that anybody out there telling you about inflation uh, should be ignored. James Hurley, what was your headline this week? Chris, I'll try to say something that matters to to please Seth. (laughs) Uh, I've been looking at this rare earth news. Um, If you haven't been following it, your your iPod or or uh, maybe an electric car might become Mizzoun, more expensive. Especially Mizzoun, yeah, exactly. Well, are, do they still make Mizzoun? Yeah, yeah, sure. They do? Okay, I did not know that. <laughs> um, they might get more expensive in, in coming years thanks to kind of a, a madman Chinese fishing boat captain who apparently rammed some Japanese patrol boats in, in a disputed uh, region of the sea that apparently is held to be belonging to Japan. China responded by putting an embargo on rare earth metals going to Japan. These are like... You know something, bidium, some some bidium. I, don't, I can't even pronounce all them, these but chemicals players. that we're yeah, supposed yeah, to learn things. in high school. Stuff and that makes Superman hurt. But but so the bizarre thing is, so they did that for a while, then suddenly they decided, well, while we're at it, why don't we just extend the embargo to the whole world? So because we, we don't need them, we're China. Exactly. Some of these prices have gone like up, you know, uh, uh, tenfold on some of these rare earth metals, and apparently they this was unofficial. They never admitted to doing this, and and now they might be backing off, but they're not admitting to backing off of the thing they didn't admit to starting in the first place. So it's. Just <laughs> just bizarre uh, but but it's it's an interesting story guys so, so it still me, doesn't matter because you can go to 8 track <laughs> let, let me make sure i have this right because of some uh, local fishing uh, hostilities uh, the cost of my cell phone is going through the roof Th- that is apparently correct, Chris, or it might be if this embargo keeps up. Ron Gross, what was your headline this week? Uh, Chris, something that caught my eye was uh, a recent study released by Moody's that says U.S. companies are hoarding $1 trillion, that's trillion with a T, $1 trillion of cash on their balance sheets at the moment. 
but because of, of the uh, economic outlook and, and the way things are a little bit shaky out there right now, they're actually not willing to put that money into expansion. So they're hanging on to it. So so what does that mean? I think that means we'll see maybe some increased share repurchase programs. I think we'll see increased acquisition activity, which is always hit or miss. Bigger parties. Um, they yeah. might even hire somebody. <laughs> Christmas parties are going to be awesome this year. Uh, but definitely look for increased M&A activity as they look to put some of that to work. You know, what's just interesting, and, and, and I'll go off my little rant on the, on the Fed here, but it's, it's, we've been trying all these policies to stimulate the economy. We've seen an inflation in the value of, of risky assets. Some of the riskiest assets have bounced back the, the fastest, but we're not seeing is corporations actually spend their cash. In other words, some of the, the, the entities that we really want to spend money are still not spending money. On Monday, Berkshire Hathaway made headlines when the company announced it has hired Todd Combs to manage a big chunk of its investment portfolio. The Todd Combs? Warren Buffett <laughs> told <laughs> off the top. Exactly. Warren Buffett told the New York Times that Combs could be Berkshire's next chief investment officer. Ron Gross, who is this guy? All right, so so I'm a former hedge fund manager, and and I had never heard of him, quite frankly. Uh, <laughs> as we know, he's he's a manager, uh, a former manager at Castle Point Capital, which I had never heard of either. And right, I'm hedge uh, exactly. Uh, he's a long short guy, so uh, not necessarily. A what? In, in what does the, that mean? He, he, he has a mullet. He's a hedge fund manager, oh. and he has short positions and long positions. Okay, oh. he plays both sides of the market, um, which is not very Buffett esque. He is financially service focused, which is interesting. So he does have a niche, that like the insurance and all that that Buffett is, right. So is so maybe on. I would imagine Buffett is tapping him to look at that portion of the Berkshire portfolio and not necessarily the Gillette and the Coke kind of uh, stuff that that he plays with as well. And let's be fair that you know our reaction, uh, you know, basically who, who is this guy was shared by many in the financial community. What do you think it says about Warren Buffett that? that this guy is something of a surprise pick, to put it mildly. I think he probably has a relationship with this guy going, and that's going back years. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, okay. I, I, I have a feeling that he likes him very much on a personal level and that he probably thinks in very much the same way as, as Mr. Buffett does. We, of course, don't know that because we, we've never spoken with the man. Uh, but I think they probably see eye to eye on the way the world works. Yeah, and Warren, give us a call. I mean, come on. All right, a nice earnings quarter from Microsoft. Revenue up 25%, net income up 51%, thanks in large part to a boost in businesses spending on technology. Ron, what did you make of Mr. Softy's latest quarter? So Mr. Softy had a very strong quarter. Um, important to understand, the stock until recently was really priced for no growth. And uh, the service I manage here, Million Dollar Portfolio, we picked some up about a month and a half ago at, at a really attractive price, and we're happy to do so. This quarter comes in very strong on, on the backs of, of as you said, uh, strong business spending in Windows 7, Office 2010. Uh, there was some one-time occurrences, uh, deferred revenue from prior periods that rolled into net income. Uh, but still, things look very, very strong. Now we turn, all eyes turn to the mobile phone market, mm -hmm. where we have the, the U.S. launch on uh, November 8th of, of Windows Phone 7. And there's been mixed reviews on, on that. And we'll oh, come on. Yes, they're, they're very good reviews. reviews. They're Microsoft. Reviews. I've seen them myself. And we will uh, we'll see. The next two quarters, I think, are going to be very interesting. Actually, I think that everyone's going to have their eye off the ball on that. The interesting thing about mobile is it doesn't make anybody, uh, it doesn't make Google any money. Uh, it doesn't, uh, it makes Apple money because of the hardware. And it hasn't made, even when Microsoft had larger market share, uh, their OS didn't make them a lot of money. What matters 
matters to Microsoft or to Google in that space is actually locking people into a sort of uh, OS and ecosystem. And, yeah. Yeah, an ecosystem. Right. and that, interestingly, is what the Windows 7 and Office 2010 uh, ecosystem does. So if you're interested in Microsoft, you should be a lot more excited about what happened this quarter and worry a lot less about Windows Phone 7, even though I think it's actually going to do okay. The consumer is still weak this quarter, though. though. Yeah. yeah. consumer was still weak, if I recall. And Seth, uh, CEO Steve Ballmer also made headlines with his keynote address at the developers conference, but I, I don't believe... Did he do the dance? I don't think any dancing was involved. No, he actually uh, made fun of that prancing viral video. But one of the things that that the haters out there don't understand about that video or about Balmer at that that uh, venue is that it's his job at the developers conference to kind of get the developers you know who are, who are a bunch of nerds probably anyway right they're writing software I write software I'm a nerd I know and so it's to get them enthusiastic. That's what that was about, and and that's what he's doing this time. And that's this is pretty important. Microsoft. The reason Microsoft is the OS and the computer company is because it has always given developers a lot of tools to do what makes them money, and that is that is what will continue to keep Microsoft relevant in in PCs, and it may get them back into phones. Coming up, Kimberly Clark wants to revolutionize your bathroom with its latest product. Stick around. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. For investing commentary and analysis each day throughout the week, go to fool.com. Chris Hill here in the studio with Seth Jason, James Early, and Ron Gross as we dig into some more earnings news from the week. Ford's third quarter profits were up nearly 70% from a year ago. James Early, as our resident gearhead, what did you make of Ford's latest results? Chris, you, you got to love when, when an auto company does well, even without the benefit of going bankrupt. You know, that, that, <laughs> that actually helped uh, uh, GM and, and, and Chrysler. Ford did borrow several hundred million from the United Auto Workers Trust, and it's working to pay that back. But it, it's actually making money by selling cars that people want. Get out of here. I, I oh, wouldn't believe it either. Plan. I wouldn't believe it. Did you go to the financing it. part of this thing and see how much was like reversal of reserves or anything like that? Was it really selling cars? I have. I, I think it was their Edge crossover SUV was hot, and their F one hundred and fifty was pretty popular too, which I huh. think is the most popular vehicle in the world, allegedly. Um, so, so hey, I mean, that's only two cars, but it's a, uh, uh, it's 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 a good start. And uh, I should point out that uh, Ford CEO Alan Mulally will be our guest next week on Motley Fool Money. So if you have questions you'd like us to ask him, yeah. please drop us a note, radio at fool.com. And, and now you know why we didn't bust on Ford too much right there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Motorola's mobile division reported an operating profit a full quarter ahead of schedule, and shares were up slightly on their latest earnings. Seth Jason, how big a factor is the droid when it comes to Motorola's business. Well, that seems to have revitalized the mobile business, uh, which is about a third of revenues there, but it doesn't account for a lot of the profits from what I'm seeing. That's the other businesses that none of us can remember because we only think of Motorola phones. Uh, so I think the Motorola needs to send a fruit basket over to Google for buying <laughs> for buying the Android operating system and giving it away for free. Uh, the problem with this entire setup for Motorola shareholders 
is that uh, essentially they've done well this quarter in the past by selling phones, but these phones are a commodity, especially if they're Android phones, because that is a, a kind of a free OS for developers. And when they eventually split up uh, Motorola into two pieces, one of them being the mobile, that is going to be a pretty volatile business, and I think it may be involved in a race to the bottom. So I would, I would say yay for now, but watch out in the future. It's a slow motion slip and fall, you're saying, basically. I, I have to think so. I mean, where where is the edge for Motorola in the phone wars? Uh, Apple has its brand and its hardware. Uh, if you're Motorola, you're just fighting a game against some of those uh, Chinese manufacturers, and it never stops. GlaxoSmithKline has agreed to pay $750 million to settle a lawsuit charging the company sold defective drugs. The lawsuit started when Cheryl Eckard, a quality assurance manager for Glaxo, repeatedly raised concerns over the company's manufacturing process. Glaxo fired her, Eckard became a whistleblower, and James Early, under the federal whistleblower law, Eckard will now get around $100 million. Whoa, $100 million? I need to kind of rat every one of you out. (laughs) Well, I think you also have to hope that there's a lawsuit to the tune of many hundreds of millions of dollars so you get a percentage of that. Exactly. Glaxo is paying about $750 million in fines for for selling adulterated and and ineffective pharmaceuticals from this Puerto Rican plant. Is that against the law? What's so (laughs) bad about that? But some of them are antidepressants, so they might have worked anyway. Um, but the bottom line, if you're going to blow a whistle, do it at a large company with, with deep pockets. It's like being a waiter at a fancy restaurant. You just get a bigger tip. So she's getting a share of, of these fines. And, good for and, her. I wonder how many people good. she saved. Apparently, there were actually no injuries reported. But uh, In the future, future the people, they count. Yeah. The ones that won't be dead. Steve Roino, uh, just to bring you in here, is there anyone or anything you'd like to blow the whistle on? Uh, there's been many things I've in the past, <laughs> but currently I'm going to keep it all under my hat until my expose comes out. Steve's got a lot of tape that rolls that you, that you <laughs> folks out there have never heard. Uh, I think we should put together like a, a bonus CD, like a director's cut CD of Motley Fool Money. and you know. I know a hitman who might be a lot cheaper. <laughs> all right, guys, it's the end of an era. After more than 30 years, Sony has pulled the plug on the Walkman. Ron, Gr- Ron Gross, how sad does this story make you? <laughs> when I saw this, I just had a chuckle. It's like a better late than never. Uh, so earlier this year, they shipped their final shipments uh, into the Japanese market, and uh, it's the end of an era. Uh, for those of you technology challenge folks out there, don't worry. There will still be some around. Some, some Chinese manufacturers will still be making a few of them here and there. But uh, it's the end of an era. But what do you put in them? Does anyone make cassette tapes? Can you yeah. buy a tape? You cannot, as far as I know. You but must just have to make your own have tapes. Our own? I, I have mine. I, I, They're all broken. I just want to p- yeah. pause for one sure. second here. I don't think it's possible to overstate how huge the Walkman was. In the, like when it came out in 1979, 1980, it was like five inches by seven inches or something. I, well, I mean, huge. Yes, it was <laughs> no, large. I'm kidding. But it was so popular. Changed it was, everything. It, it yeah. changed everything. You know, There'd kind of no in, the, iPod. in the way that the iPod changed everything. Yeah. Um, uh, Ron, you were mentioning cassette tapes. Do you have like a memory of like a first cassette tape? I, I believe it or not, I think my first one was Meatloaf, Bad Out of Oh, yeah, sure. A good one. That's a classic. I didn't have the Walkman. I had a Toshiba model, and I remember cranking the the Steve Miller band. (laughs) Steve Miller band. James? I believe the... I don't think it was on a record. I think I bought Michael Jackson's Thriller as my first uh, cassette. Mine mine was uh, straight out of uh, Seth's hometown of Minneapolis, or certainly his home state, Minnesota, Prince. The Prince. Prince. Uh, Prince and the Revolution. Purple Rain. Steve Broido, yours? I, honestly, I was never, I was an LP guy. I had lots of records when I was growing up, so did not, did, I had some cassettes, but I mostly, I think, recorded records onto cassette. 
Steve you're, is you're, way cooler. You're just far younger than us. Is that, isn't that it? You just missed it. I, I'm not, I mean, I had records, so I don't know. Maybe I'm older. Who knows? He was more of an audio guy. <laughs> Are you like Benjamin Button with that Brad Pitt movie? You just age backwards? Quite possible. All right. And finally, on Monday, paper products giant Kimberly Clark announced it will begin testing a tubeless roll of toilet paper. No more cardboard roll. No more glue sticking to those last few squares of toilet paper. James Early, the toilet paper market is a $9 billion industry. Uh, what does this mean? Well, it means I can finally end my decade-long toilet paper boycott. I mean, I just so much material <laughs> with the with the cardboard and stuff. It's, it's better for the environment. I'm kidding. <laughs> it's better for the environment. Um, it, it's kind of interesting how they're going to pull this off. I mean, I tend to think of it as 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 as, as a just kind of whiz bang gizmo stuff. But hey, if it sells product, it sells product. What, what will kindergartners use for projects going forward? I know I mean, paper towel tubes. Paper towel yeah. tubes until they migrate the technology yeah, over. Camp, those are the next to go. Yeah. I say we just go back Short to what the Romans had. Cardboard tube makers. So, I'm sorry. What was that? Just go back to what the Romans had. A sponge on a stick. Uh, I don't. I don't know that we're going to go in that direction. The environment the Roman corn cob like the early settlers. But you know what? Let's think this. Through, let's think this through one more step. I mean, if you're if you're in the uh, industry of of making commodes, I mean, are we going to see uh, maybe an uptick in bidet sales? What are the odds of that? You know what? They're probably the plumbers are bummed because I bet that tube ends up in the toilet fairly often and they're not going to get get the call to come and get that out of there anymore. Well, this was, you know, this was something we were talking about before because uh, w- one of the stories we were uh, discussing before the show was about Avon and sort of their latest quarter and that quarter, uh, sort of thing and how there there are some trends around the uh, uh, around the country where there are high school girls who are saying, "You know what? I'm not going to wear makeup anymore." And on the one hand, you, uh, you know, I can Hooray. just yeah, yeah, you can look at that and say, well, that's great. You're 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 going with your own image of beauty. On the other hand, if you're Avon, isn't that the nightmare scenario that like this widespread, uh, you know, success of this movement of girls stop wearing makeup? That's got to scare the hell out at of your them. house, Ron. Well, I do. I am the proud father of a 13 year old, and and so we have not uh, gotten into that yet. But I, I don't think makeup's going away. Yeah, a lot of guys though agree that that, that women, frankly, often put on way too much makeup and, and look better without makeup. I don't know what you guys think, but my wife I think came, it's marketed yeah. to them, you know, with this notion that, that men are going to find it more attractive and we don't. I My wife is beautiful without makeup, doesn't wear much, and she came out the other day, she's going out with her friends and she had some makeup on, some makeup on. and I actually, I visibly startled. I mean, she, she noticed it and I just... You know, they say uh, in recessions, alcohol and makeup are, are things that do well, so if we get into a double dip, I think... Uh, You'll Makeup does well during a recession. Do. People want I mean, the alcohol, I get. People want to feel better about themselves. Frankly, alcohol should just do, uh, that should be, you know, it, it's a product for all seasons. As I think far the makeup sells because people want to disguise. All right. Drop us an email, radio at fool.com. Please weigh in with your thoughts on the makeup movement. <laughs> or the toilet paper. Uh, definitely <laughs> the toilet paper. All right. The guys will be back later in the show to share the stocks that are on their radar. But up next, CNBC Chief Washington Correspondent John Harwood will give us his take on how the midterm elections will affect investors. Stay right here. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. Penny. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. I'm Chris Hill. The midterm elections are just days away, and there is every reason to believe the GOP will take control of the House and possibly the Senate. So what will a Republican Congress mean for investors? Here to help us make sense of it all is CNBC's chief Washington correspondent, John Harwood. John, thanks for being here. 
My pleasure. So before we get to the elections, uh, I want to start with the money, because the latest reports indicate that we are seeing records amount of money being spent on these elections. There's talk that it could exceed $2 billion when all is said and done. How do you think this money has changed the landscape? To be honest, not all that much, because what, what I think tends to happen in political campaigns is that both sides tend to achieve sufficiency. That is, uh, wh- whichever one has more money than the other, uh, that may vary uh, from election to election. Each side, Republicans always say that, well, the unions are outspending us, and Democrats always say the business is outspending us. But as long as you have enough money in a campaign to get your message out, then it's really about the broader political trends, and I think that's what's happening here. Uh, Democrats uh, who were not incumbent in uh, in 2006 uh, began to create a network of outside groups that supplemented what the candidates could do. Now Republicans who are out of power are doing the same thing. Uh, and uh, uh, the, the bottom line is that most uh, uh, voters out there are getting plenty of information from both sides in the most competitive races. Well, out in California, you've got former eBay CEO Meg Whitman, uh, who has reportedly spent more than $140 million of her own money in her race for governor, but she's been slipping in the polls lately. Is there a point at which you can spend too much money? Yes, and some Republicans out there have wondered whether or not Meg Whitman was on the air too much over the summer and that voters got sick of her. On the other hand, she's running against Jerry Brown, somebody who has been in politics for 40 years, and his father was in politics for a long time before that. So uh, he had an incalculable value of name recognition that Meg Whitman didn't have. Um, And again, uh, I think the underlying situation in that race is that Jerry Brown is somebody who's known to California. It's become a Democratic state. Barack Obama's over 50% in the polls. And uh, to me, what's happened to Meg Whitman shows that uh, though money can get you in the game, uh, and it's uh, significant, it isn't going to win the game for you in the end, as long as the other side has some advantages of its own. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. We're talking with John Harwood, CNBC's chief Washington correspondent. Uh, John, this is a show for investors, so how do you think Tuesday's elections are going to affect the stock market? Well, first of all, uh, my impression is that uh, the stock market has largely priced in already the prospect of a Republican House, which is likely not guaranteed. Most of the strategists that I talk to think that Democrats still have a 20, 25%, 30% chance of carrying the House if they get a lot of breaks in the closest elections. Uh, But if not, Republicans will take control, and that's uh, generally expected at the moment. What would be the unexpected event is if Republicans manage to take the Senate where the odds are sort of reversed. There's probably a 20-25% chance that Republicans win the Senate. To do that, they need to gain 10 seats, and there are 11 Democratic seats that are pretty vulnerable. Uh, It's even in a wave election, it's not easy to have all those dominoes fall in the same way or all but one of those dominoes fall in the same way, especially when a couple of them are in states like um, uh, Connecticut, like uh, California, like West Virginia, where either the uh, underlying politics of the state favors the Democrats or the individual candidate favors the Democrats. Are there particular industries or companies that you think are natural winners or losers uh, with a Republican-controlled Congress? Well, I think you have to, first of all, look at the big boogeymen that Democrats have been hammering pretty consistently. And the 
top two in my mind are uh, the oil industry uh, and uh, I guess to some extent the coal industry, but more oil. Um, and uh, uh, secondly, the uh, uh, pharmaceutical industry and, and the health insurance industry, um, and more the insurance industry, actually, because you, you remember in the healthcare reform debate, the White House cut a deal with pharmaceutical companies. Some Democrats have criticized them for that. Uh, but so they've had less of, a, of, a, uh, of an edge uh, for uh, drug companies, although it's still there in some of the policies on importation of uh, generic drugs from other countries and that sort of thing. Uh, but really, I would think uh, if, you, if you are uh, in the health insurance or the oil industry, you're really rooting for Republicans to take control. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. We're talking with John Harwood, the chief Washington correspondent for CNBC. Now, you're not only the chief Washington correspondent for CNBC, you're also a political writer for the New York Times. Uh, and in looking over your bio, your journalism career started in high school. So, so uh, I, I think it's, it's pretty clear you knew what you wanted to be when you grew up. Um, what do you think the newspaper industry looks like five years from now? Boy, I think it's in, it's in trouble, and it's going to be a challenge for those of us who do work in the realm of the printed word to figure out what form it survives in. Um, I, I, my sense of um, uh, foreboding for the industry has been growing over the years as I watch my neighbors and see how few lawns have newspapers tossed in it every morning. It got even worse when I bought my iPad and realized how visually uh, compelling and easy to navigate that device was, and I could definitely see the beginning of the end of the um, of the relevance of the printed paper. We'll see. I think there's some brands, the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, which are pretty robust and, and are likely to, to be around. Um, but, boy, all my friends who work for large metropolitan newspapers are really feeling the stress and the strain. And there's definitely going to be a demand and appetite for information. There's no question about that. Uh, but there is a question over how it's going to be delivered, uh, and what is the financial model that sustains news gathering. Because in television, the medium uh, that I work in uh, most often, or radio, where, where we're working in right now, um, there isn't the uh, model of large news gathering staffs. That's been done by newspapers, and we've got to figure out how to support it. All right, John, we need to wrap up with a round of buy, sell, or hold. So let's start with a news organization that has been in the headlines lately, Buy, sell, or hold the future of public funding for NPR? Uh, I would say hold. Uh, I think that is one where Republicans are venting now over what's happened with Juan Williams. Remember, they took a run at this before uh, under the um, Republican Revolution in the mid-1990s. But there comes a point where um, Republicans would put at risk their relationship with uh, uh, higher-income voters and higher-educated voters in the suburbs if they go after that too aggressively. So uh, I, would, I would hold. Uh, this is someone whose political stock has certainly been on the rise this year. Buy, sell, or hold the likelihood that Sarah Palin runs for president in 2012? Hold. Um, uh, I, I have been expecting that she will not run, but I must say that um, uh, some recent developments and things she's doing make me question that uh, assessment. So I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't bet on her doing it. I wouldn't bet on her not doing it, and that's why it's a hold. Buy, sell, or hold the likelihood that Mayor Bloomberg runs for president? I'd sell. I don't think he's going to do it. Uh, I think it's possible. 
I think there's an opening for a third party in American politics. Uh, the my guess is that Mayor Bloomberg would. Uh, uh, there's enough of a correspondence between his views and those of President Obama that I think he would recognize uh, that he would be uh, uh, aiding the election of someone whose views he disagrees with if he were to run. So I'm, I'm guessing he would not do it. And finally, you're a graduate of this institution, by seller hold Duke University repeating as national champs in college basketball. That is a huge buy. <laughs> uh, we, we are loaded this year, let me tell you. This guy, Kiri Irving, the new point guard, uh, is coming back, and we've got Nolan Smith, and we've got uh, Kyle uh, Singler, and uh, we're going to be a running team, and you don't want to be playing us in in, uh, March. He is the chief Washington correspondent for CNBC. John Harwood, thanks so much for being here. You bet. Now it's time to talk about some of the week's big stock market movers. We're joined by Motley Fool Managing Editor Brian Richards calling us from our West Coast Bureau. Brian, welcome. Chris, thank you for having me. All right, let's kick things off with Broadcom. Shares were up big after the chipmaker reported better-than-expected earnings and raised guidance. What's the story here? Yeah, well, you know, whenever a company raises guidance after a solid earnings report, Wall Street gets very happy. Uh, Shares were up more than 11% on Wednesday when that happened. Broadcom makes chips that are used in... Uh, cell phones and other sorts of communications equipment. Uh, but the real story is that, that their chips are in Apple iPhones and iPads. And being That's got to be nice. Yeah, being a part of uh, Apple's list of suppliers is a really big deal. And, uh, you know, Apple sold 14 million iPhones in, in its latest quarter. And uh, the, as the iPhone growth story goes, uh, so goes Broadcom's. Coach also had a big week, better than expected earnings, and, uh, you know, handbags, watches, shoes. The sales were way up. What, what's the headline with Coach? You know, Coach is firing on all cylinders. They beat earnings estimates. Revenues were up something like 20% over last year. Same-store sales were up, which is a key metric for retailers. Gross margins, operating margins were up. Expenses as a percentage of sales were down. You know, it's no wonder everybody was happy. Pretty much every reported metric for the company was was very strong. Um, and Coach, you know, it's it while investors might not view it as a value stock right now, given that it, it's um, it's been bid up of late. Um, it has a really solid brand, and it has a very ambitious growth strategy, particularly in China which is just a massive market for luxury goods. And is there ever a situation in which you see yourself carrying a man purse? No. I'm, I'm glad we're of like mind on that one. All right, let's close with Royal Caribbean, which had better-than-expected earnings. The stock moved up 13% at one point this week and triggered circuit breakers. Yeah, yeah, that, that um, is certainly a good sign for investors in Royal Caribbean. You're sensing a theme here. We're in earnings season, and, and all three of the companies that we're talking about today had really strong earnings reports. Um, similar to Broadcom, Royal Caribbean also um, gave a strong outlook and increased guidance, even going so far as to say that based on the bookings that they've received so far, they think they're going to set an earnings record in 2011. Uh, It looks like the cruise industry has weathered the recession pretty well uh, with Royal Caribbean's results. Norwegian Cruise Lines, a competitor, just announced plans to build two new passenger ships, and um, Carnival Cruise Lines, as well as Royal, uh, is sitting near a 52-week high. So, 
um, you know, investors in, in these cruise ship companies should be pretty happy. And are you, a, uh, the stock aside, are you a cruise person? You know, I'm not really a cruise person. It, in, it's a silly reason why, but I really dislike dining at preset <laughs> times. I just can't get over that. That's it? That's the deal breaker for you? It's the preset dining times? You know, I'm a man of principle, Chris. I, I can't do it. Brian Richards from our Motley Fool West Coast Bureau. Thanks so much for joining us. <laughs> Thank you for having me, Chris. To read more on some of the stock market's big movers, including a tech stock that jumped 44%, check out the Motley Fool's website, fool.com. That's fool.com. Coming up, a special guest just in time for Halloween, plus an inside look at the stocks on our radar. This is Motley Fool Money. If you got the money, honey, I've got the time. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. I'm Chris Hill. Whether it's your first time tuning in or you listen every week, thanks for listening to Motley Fool Money. But if you're looking for investing analysis and commentary any day of the week, just click over to the Motley Fool's website, fool.com. We also run different investing services at The Motley Fool, and this week we want to say a few words about a new service built around what's called a long-short strategy, a strategy that hedge funds have had a lot of success with. We recently talked with Motley Fool advisors John Del Vecchio and Matt Ritchie and began by asking Matt about the benefits of a long-short strategy. The long-short approach allows you to profit when stocks are going up or down. You buy stocks that you think you can profit from on the way up, and you're also shorting stocks that you think have some kind of characteristics that are going to cause them to decline in value. And the benefit is that you have the ability to defend against market downside risk. John Del Vecchio is a former hedge fund manager as well. He's had a lot of success in shorting stocks. So we asked him about the shorting piece of the equation. You short stocks to protect from downside moves in the market, such as in 2008 or 2001 and two, when the market uh, was coming off a big internet bubble. This helps preserve capital, especially in the context of having stocks long in your portfolio. What specifically I look for are companies that utilize accounting in aggressive fashion to mask a deterioration in their business. So if they're doing something, uh, a, what we would call a shenanigan to overstate their revenues, our expectation is that that company will miss earnings at some point down the line and the stock price will suffer. In wrapping up, Matt talked about some of the features of the Motley Fool's new long-short service, Motley Fool Alpha. We'll deliver specific long and short recommendations to members. We'll give you a concise investment thesis on each stock we recommend. And then also we'll tell you how to size that idea in the context of your overall portfolio. And we'll also tell you when to get out of the stock when it no longer makes sense to hold it. To learn more about Motley Fool Alpha and how Matt and John invest, just email us at radio at fool.com and put alpha in the subject line. That's radio at fool.com. I was working in the lab late one night when my eyes beheld an eerie sight for my monster from his I'm Chris Hill, and back in the studio with me are trio of senior analysts Seth Jason, James Early, and Ron Gross. Guys, it's Halloween this weekend, so in honor of that, we've got a special guest doing our weekly disclaimer. Steve Broido, let's go to the Hello, tape. Hello, boys and ghouls. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. Please remember that the little devils on this show may own the stocks that they're talking about. Don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Do your homework and make your own decisions. And remember, if you still haven't come up with a Halloween costume, why not be me, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark? All you need is a black wig, a tight black dress, and a big set of... Uh, Okay, well, maybe it can't be Elvira. But, you know, happy Halloween anyway. Mm -hmm. 
But what do you need a set of? <laughs> the great Cassandra Peterson. Oh, that brings we back love memories. Her. I mean, uh, who's more iconic at Halloween than Elvira? That's pretty it's awesome. She's the Santa Claus of Halloween. Let's talk about the stocks that are on our radar. Ron Gross, we'll start with you. Um, Chris, lately I've been looking at the Brinks Company. I think everyone's probably knows uh, their armored car. Um, they're pretty ubiquitous out there. They're a cash security company. They also do ATM servicing. 150-year-old business, 50 countries around the world. Really solid balance sheet, very strong market position. Uh, international diversification is interesting to me. Um, so I, I've been spending a lot of time. It looks like a good one. And what's the ticker symbol? The ticker symbol is BCO. Mm-hmm. James Early? Chris, if you like weird, confusing things uh, like Seth does. Um, <laughs> like Seth. You <laughs> like Seth. You might like uh, Coal Producing Master Limited Partnership, Alliance Resource Partners. This is one of the few MLPs that actually owns a commodity, and they own the dirtiest, filthiest, nasty coal that that, that pollutes a lot. But a lot of these these uh, uh, power plants have these smokestack scrubbers that take away some of the sulfur uh, dioxide and, and some of the pollutants. So ironically, this stock is up like 25% since the cap-and-trade uh, legislation died in the Senate in July. ARLP is, is the ticker for the, the limited partnership. AHGP is the ticker for the general partnership. That's the confusing part. There are two different ways to get in. Uh, 5.6% yield for, for the first one. It is a recommendation in my income investor service. A little, little pricey right now, but on a dip, I'd buy it. Seth Jason? I can't believe James would do that. He hates companies like that. He's, <laughs> he's Mr. Cheese, like chairman of a tree club. <laughs> and I'm not kidding about that. That's true. I'm not chairman, but I'm... A <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm going to talk a little bit about Volcom, which is... Uh, they sell you know, like jeans and board shorts and stuff for kind of the skateboarder surfer crowd. If you've never the, heard of them, like us. that would make their customers very happy. And they were clobbered at the end of this week when their earnings did not uh, did not please Mr. Market. But I think uh, you know the sales softness for them is going to be short term. We've got you know kind of a crummy consumer economy right now. And so long term, I think that they uh, they remain relevant and they're going to come back uh, beaten down at the end of the week into the teens. We own it at Hidden Gems. And at this price, y- you have to take a serious look at buying some more of it. Are they comparable to Zoomies? No, Zoomies is, Zoomies is imagine like the local board store at your place that sells the boards and everything, but bring that to the mall. Zoomies is a chain of stores. Volcom is a brand oh, of apparel. Okay, so, uh, and the ticker? The ticker is VLCM. All right. Seth Jason, James Shirley, Ron Gross. Guys, thanks for being here. You're welcome. Thank thanks, you. Chris. Thanks also to our special guest this week, John Harwood from CNBC and Brian Richards, managing editor of Fool.com. I should point out to listeners that next month, the Motley Fool's million-dollar portfolio service, led by our own Ron Gross, will be reopening to new members for the first time in a year. For more information, go to mdp.fool.com. That's mdp.fool.com. Our engineer is Steve Broido. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.